and welcome to the Channel V6 Podcast. I'm your host, David Gale. Channel V6 Podcast covers all the unique and diverse topics that matter most to you, the Uina Basin resident. Subscribe to listen to in-depth conversations about the local issues that affect us all. Today's guests we have today are Dave Brotherson, Duchesne County School District Superintendent, and Dr. Rick Woodford, the Uina School District Superintendent. Uh, we're going to be talking about schools, obviously. Wouldn't know why else we have you in here. But first, let's tell you about our primary sponsor, uh, Larson Haslam Dental. At Larson Haslam Dental, their amazing team is dedicated to not only improving your oral health, but to also restore and maintain your overall health. Are you unhappy with your dental insurance or don't have dental insurance? Larson Haslam Dental has the solution. It's the Larson Haslam Savings Plan. Call to discuss the details and see how much you can save with this great plan. Larson Haslam Dental has the most state-of-the-art equipment in our area, providing you and your entire family with all your dental needs. They offer implants, implant-supported dentures, root canals, same-day crowns, and a laser that treats small decay spots in children without getting numb. Larson Haslam Dental is a comprehensive dental office that is happy to treat your whole family from young to old. They also have the most fun and best staff around. Call now and mention you heard the ad on Channel V6 Podcast, and they'll schedule a free consultation to see if the Larson Haslam Savings Plan is a good fit for you. Call 781-2729 or go online at larsonhaslamdental.com. Once again, we've got Dave Brotherson, superintendent from Duchesne County School District, and Dr. Rick Woodford from the UNA School District. Welcome, gentlemen, and thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you, David. Uh, so this is... This is going to be a fun one for me. Um, I was not living in the Uinta Basin when COVID struck, and I didn't get to witness or participate in all of the activities that had to occur in order to uh, meet compliance and other standards that then popped up. Um, and I have four children, so I, I like schools because they are... I can't think of any other place that our kids are more affected, that they, they're more influenced besides in their own homes than the schools that they attend. So um, I think that what I'd like to do is just simply start with, for those listening who um, may be in the same position I am, I'd like to know what the school districts had to go through um, at the commencement of COVID. So going back to like March of last year, uh, what precautions and measures, what, what changes suddenly had to take place, and how those changes um, were augmented by the time you got to the next actual school year, September of 2020. Just to, just to set the scene of, of where we are now, let's talk about where we were. And I've got you on either side of the table. Uh, why don't we start over here, Dave? On uh, Thursday, uh, we were in board meeting. And we actually had some concerned parents with what was happening with COVID. And the very next morning, the state superintendent came out and said that we wouldn't return to school on Monday and that we had two days, Monday and Tuesday, to prepare for students to go online on Wednesday. Wow. And That's so really, quick. it was really, uh, most of our teachers, we'd been working on Canvas for the last three years. And they were pretty much prepared, but it was uh, kind of hit and miss. Mm -hmm. They would put things that their most important things on online, but the step-by-step -step procedures to get to that point weren't online. So they needed to have some fine detail yeah. and some polishing to make them work. 
And so those two days were invaluable. And then there were a lot of lessons learned during that time uh, that we were able to implement later. Um, you know, as we started this fall and did our reentry plan, <clears throat> there was a lot of things that we did differently. And I think as we move forward out of COVID, that there are a lot of things that we've learned that we'll implement that will change our future as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Woodford. Yeah, so our story is similar. Uh, I, I was hired full-time. I, I came in full-time two weeks before that notice from the state, from oh, I didn't know that. Dixon. And, and it was challenging because I was still learning and getting to know my team and and uh, trying to understand the, the capacity within our team. I, for me, it, it really helped me understand some of those things better more mm-hmm. quickly because we had to uh, mobilize quickly. Um, we, we, you know, two days is not a lot of notice, right? right. So uh, we did. We we pulled a task force together and just started uh, hammering out and working uh, with teachers and and other staff how we would handle things from transportation to food services mm-hmm. to custodial work, which which all of those things changed significantly. Uh, and of course. Uh, you know, teaching. I mean, when when you're trying to provide classroom instruction without a classroom, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a huge challenge for uh, for teachers. Uh, you know, when you don't have time to plan, you uh, you do the best that you can. And right. uh, when we look back now, uh, those days and parents and and kids, families understand this. It it wasn't ideal by any means. Uh, a lot a lot of kids fell behind. Yeah. Um, I think we had teachers just, again, doing the best that they could to meet the needs of the kids and, and trying to, to keep their own heads above water with, with the pandemic and, and everything that they were facing. So, right. uh, so anyway, we, you know, our goal then is the spring uh, developed and we, mm-hmm. we got closer to summer was to plan for what the new school year might be. And uh, that's where a lot of our focus went at that point in time. So at that time, we um, here in Utah, if I'm correct me if I'm mistaken, uh, it was online only until we went back to uh, fall semester or the beginning of the new school year, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And at that point in time, after having to very quickly come up with a way to teach kids uh, distance learning, you now had an opportunity to to make some decisions. What were the decisions that each school district made as far as when kids were coming back to school? All of us had to do a reopening plan, and then each school had to do a reopening plan with their individual buildings. And there were prototypes, things that we looked at that were coming from the state that helped us in each of those. But like Rick stated before, our custodial, our transportation, um, you know, you take a uh, group of kids on a bus to a school, how do you sanitize or disinfect that bus Mm -hmm. and then use it again? All of those routines changed. Masking on a bus, seating charts on a bus, um, as well as classrooms. Our classrooms in Utah, uh, we have high class size and being able to spread them and do social distancing like we're doing here today. You know, that's almost impossible. And your class sizes are large enough you know, we really don't have the facility big enough to house class sizes of 20, mm-hmm. uh, which a thousand square foot would probably facilitate. And uh, so there's a lot of changes that we had to do. We did have some kids that went online um, and then some that chose to homeschool. Uh, 
-hmm. and that lightened our load a little bit so that our class sizes were down. One thing that Rick brought up that I want to hit as well is just the professionalism of our staff. Every one of our uh, employees were willing to change and pick up the extra load. We work in a fabulous profession of professional people, and they're not... uh, they're not complainers. They will do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to help kids. And there are some that we were unable to reach. We actually started doing home visits and things like that to make sure. And sometimes we found that they were telling parents they were online when they weren't. <laughs> and uh, other things like that, some accountability problems. But as we moved forward, um, you know, there are some programs to address that gap. And we're finding that our, our test scores were behind when we started this fall, um, but we're making great gains during the school year and expect our, our students to be where they need to be, where our traditional gains have been mm-hmm. by the end of the school year. So, D- Dr. Woodford, I'm, I'm wondering if you faced similar challenges logistically. Abs- absolutely. At first, I, I couldn't... Uh agree more uh, with Superintendent Brotherson about the professionalism of our staff and their yeah. willingness just to step up and and uh, go into areas they've never been to before. You know, uh, the willingness to, to adapt, the resiliency of the people. We know kids are resilient. Sometimes adults aren't as resilient, right. but when you have something like a pandemic that comes, uh, sta- I'll tell you, uh, adults can be resilient too. And our, our staff... Uh, responded. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that we did uh, during the summer, we, we brought our uh, parent or our, our community council uh, chairs from each school together into a kind of a district level community council. And then we also met with our you know key stakeholders and leaders in the community mm-hmm. just to get feedback on the reopening plan that Dave mentioned. And uh, I think that was really helpful because we, we received, sometimes when you're in the fight, you don't see everything on the peripheral. So when you bring people, you know, uh, from the community together, you, you start to see the things in the peripheral that, that are important uh, right. to people. And, and so our focus really, uh, changed at one point in time where we, we decided that, you know, we really want to offer options for families. We don't want to corner any family into just one option. And mm-hmm. so, uh, we really emphasized at that point, developing, uh, our, our online, program. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we, we've had an online school for some time and, and that online school, it, it may serve a, you know, a hundred kids at the high school level, or maybe more, uh, you know, with, with certain coursework that they need to take. And, uh, at the elementary level though, it had traditionally been very small and our online high school, we, we projected, we sent a survey in the summer out and we, the survey, it, it kind of led us right where we needed to go. Um, we ended up with uh, about a thousand kids involved in that program at one point. Mm. So our our elementary went uh, clear up to about seven hundred kids from maybe fifty. That's a huge increase, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, so they mobilized. We we had to rethink the curriculum and and how we did business. We had to transfer teachers from schools where these kids were were coming, being pulled from, and. Uh, in, in the end, you know, that, that provided a good option for a lot of families. And, uh, and then as you know, I, you know, we, we re redid our schedule so that kids, uh, don't go to school on campus on Fridays. That was another big change because our teachers needed time to 
prepare and and to build the capacity to be able to teach kids mm -hmm. that were home on quarantine. So we planned all that out in the summer and we were sure glad we did because by the time the school year hit and then, you know, once we got into to December and, and well, November, December, and then of course now having so many kids that have been quarantined, we've, we've been able to, to meet their needs, pr probably not to a degree of excellence, okay. but, but, you know, at least providing a, a, a basic foundation and floor of educational opportunity for those kids. So even when they're on quarantine, they're able to jump on canvas and continue in their learning progression. So, right. um, anyway, some things came together for us. Uh, has, has it been ideal? Absolutely not. I, I would say, I, I'm not sure the general public really understands how much more work it is for teachers to try to facilitate in-class learning while you're also meeting the needs of kids that are quarantined, right? It, it's very difficult, and and it's been it's been tough for our teachers. Um, so anyway, there there's just some insights I want sure. to share. Sure, I'm 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 wondering with with all of the as we look to where we are uh, currently, uh, with all of the accommodations and the changes and um, options and and dealing with different ways of teaching kids, how has that affected? Um, financially the districts and is there is there any concern about uh budgetary constraints our uh, budgets are a year in arrears and so we're operating on monies from last year that was generated last year and they held us harmless last year but as we move forward these students that are maybe going to another school or going to an online provider that we are that that is not us mm -hmm. we lose that funding okay and so if we have 200 kids that are uh, receiving services from another provider, then that's money that we will not receive the next year. Well, let me ask this then. So uh, what you're saying is is that your student body population has decreased, potentially. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe that's the question I should ask is, what are your numbers looking like currently as far as online versus in-school versus what other option? And how does that compare to uh, our traditional numbers, our historical numbers? We're down um, in Duchesne, we're down about 200 students. And some of those have moved because of the price of oil and things like that. Um, but that's 200 students that you had staff for and mm -hmm. and uh, took care of before. But a lot of those, we have about 600 in our online uh, school. And we actually have done the same thing as Rick uh, moved uh, teachers to be able to facilitate them. We have eight teachers in that building and serving those students uh, that are in an online capacity. They do come in certain times and receive instruction in that building mm -hmm. and receive help from our teachers. Um, as we're, I'll get back to your funding. Sure, that's fine. But, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about teachers that are preparing a lesson in three different venues. They have the face-to-face, -face, they have the online component that they're helping with the mm -hmm. online school, and then they also have the kids that are in quarantine that are only gonna be there for a little, little time. And in our bigger schools, in our small schools, it's a huge effect. But at Union, uh, let's just say Union or Roosevelt Junior, if you have 80 kids on quarantine, your student body there is 1,100 and 800. So that's, you know, 10% mm -hmm. that's on quarantine. You go into a smaller school like Tabiona and you have 20 kids on quarantine and they have 100 student body. You're so you're at 20%. 20% of your... And so your class sizes are way smaller mm -hmm. than they normally are. And it's usually hitting a, a group 
So it's those that have been exposed in that group. And so it, it has a huge effect on our smaller schools. We think of it in the larger schools having that much, but it's, uh, it's per scale. It's not as, has, it doesn't have as great effect in our bigger schools that does the smaller ones. Yeah, I, I hadn't considered that the, your, your smaller schools getting getting hit suddenly. Uh, you've got a, affecting a, a much larger portion of your student body. Um, Dr. Wordford, I'd, I'd, I'd like your response on that as well, just um, where your numbers are now and how you think that's going to affect the uh, future. Sure. So so we, we're down over 300 kids, and we really don't know for sure what percentage of those kids are going to come back versus those that have moved out of the community. We, mm-hmm. we, we believe we'll get quite a few kids back, uh, you know, when, when the pandemic rests, uh, we're, we're hoping, <laughs> but, right. uh, nevertheless, yeah, it'll have a future impact on our budget. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in the process now of just trying to analyze to find out exactly what we think that impact's going to be. We, we have had a lot of one-time monies that have become available through the pandemic, through uh, the CARES Act and through the uh, the ESSER funds that are available. And then, of course, we, we just found out that we're going to get a second round of the ESSER dollars. Uh, we'll even have more flexibility to use those those dollars. But uh, we've done a number of things. One, one thing we, we've done is we've provided um, internet access broadband okay. through through a grant that we received that, that it, you know, is related to the CARES Act uh, through the governor's office. And uh, so, so we've been contracting with Strata to provide um, service for families in that capacity. And, and that's been a wonderful thing for, for many families. And it's been able to, to ensure that those kids can jump online yeah. uh, when needed, whether they're, it's a Friday and they're not at school and learning from home or, or whether they've been quarantined. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so that's an example. We, we've, we've purchased a lot of, of PP and I, just, just the equipment, the, uh, you know, masks, um, things of that nature to help get us through the pandemic, uh, technology. Uh, one, one thing that we've had to do differently is, uh, we used to provide students with a Chromebook mm-hmm. in the classroom. Well, now they take those home. So we had to we had to purchase some additional Chromebooks. Right. Teachers, uh, all of our teachers had desktop computers. Those those aren't uh, very useful if you have to teach from home, right? right? So uh, you know those are some changes that we've made in in the district. Um, we went with a, a learning management system called Canvas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used it in some of our schools, but not all of our schools. We were pretty inconsistent in the use before the pandemic. And what's one of the first things we did is we came out and we said, Hey, we're going to, everyone's going to use canvas so that as families are working with kids from different age levels, different schools, uh, it's familiar for the parents. They they don't have to have three different systems right. that they log into. They can go into one system. So those are some examples of things that we've used that money for. The 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 other thing that uh, the the legislature allowed us to do is they allowed us to dip into our capital funds for two years. So there's a certain amount of money we can take out of our capital fund to help with operational expenses, and and we have we have done that. Now again, that's that's short term. It helps us now. Uh, my concern is is in the future. What what's what's going to be in the wake of all of this? Right. As and we receive fewer dollars from from the state down the road. And when you pull from the capital funds, what are those funds typically used for? Right. 
Yeah, they're they're typically used for building maintenance, mm-hmm. uh, building new facilities, those kinds of things. We right. happen to have a pretty large uh, fund balance right now, so in our case, it made sense to do that. Some districts did pull from capital, others did not. It just depended on on the the size of of that fund, and then our future outlook of of expending that fund. So I imagine that the the sooner that um, we come to back to any kind of normalcy the better our outlook for the future is because then we're not relying on some of these things that you are now in order to uh, maintain. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you could walk me through, um, from the eyes of a student, what the process looks like when it comes to um, being identified as someone who needs to be quarantined or, or getting COVID at all. It, uh, it's it's hard to imagine, at least for me, you gentlemen are probably much better at this, um, what that looks like for a child compared to an adult. But just, again, logistically speaking, if, if I'm a kid and uh, I've come in contact with someone who's had COVID or I test positive for COVID myself, what happens from for school? Do I, do I go to school and then they tell me to go home? How long do I go home? How am I taken care of? When a child is identified or a teacher, um, uh, someone that's in the school system, uh, Tri-County is notified of a positive test, and then they'll call the point of contact, uh, which is usually the school administrator, principal there, and uh, they'll identify the class that the student was in and the track. They call it tracing, and they'll go back through and see the contacts, and they look for um, 15 minutes closer than six feet, mask to mask, uh, those type of things. And if they meet that, any of those criteria, then they're notified uh, that they're uh, at a high risk. Mm-hmm. And some of those kids, um, you know, have been on uh, quarantine multiple times. It's not like that, you know, you come back and then you're exempt. Mm-hmm. Uh, three days later, you could be exposed again and go, you know, it has been 14 days, it's now 10. Um, but they could go multiple times on that. And basically, you know, as, as a parent, they would get a call that says your kid is your child, your student has been exposed and uh, they need to quarantine for the next 14 days. Well, what does quarantine look like? Is the rest of my family exposed? They're a secondary mm-hmm. exposure. You know, do I have to wear a mask? Does he have to stay in his bedroom? What does that all look like? And so there was a care plan that was put together with them individually. Uh, so it was a huge uh, ordeal. That's a lot of work. And for principals, as you look at, uh, you know, high schools and, and between classes and contacts and tracing in a high school situation versus an elementary, you know, those type of things are different. Um, you know, as you talk about you in a school district and Duchesne School District, all of these things are different based on your local education association. Um, UNTA has different... Uh, uh, they're a capital-rich district. Not, I shouldn't say any district is rich, but compared to us, where we have four high schools, we're a capital-poor district, you know, and so we have to find different ways to make all of these things work out. And uh, so when you talk finances, ours are a little different than Dr. Woodward's. Um, but mostly with uh, quarantine and with isolation, uh, Tri-County has helped us with those, and those are pretty consistent around the state. So as parents talk to other parents, they're treated the same, mm-hmm. and that's all they need is that they're consistently treated. Um, some of them are upset, and some of them are, 
you know, uh, we'll do whatever we need. What are our options and where are the resources? How do I get my Chromebook, you mm -hmm. know, to get my child online? Will the teacher, you know, make those things available and how do we uh, do that? And um, so we have all of that in place uh, for students that miss. You know, we've always had students that um, traveled with their parents in different um you know, maybe they were in pro rodeo or they were in some other type of, and really we didn't serve them very well. And now we're prepared to serve mm. a student in about any situation they could be in. We, I remember one uh, family that had a child that needed medical services that were only done in Kansas City. And we were trying to provide a, an online solution for them. Uh, that student now works for us. And I think back of how um, archaic and how clumsy that was mm -hmm. to be able to provide that. And now today, I think we could give her almost the same experience that she would receive in a face-to-face -face classroom. So the, the school district itself has, has upped its own skill set to, to meet the needs of students that yeah. maybe were under underserved before. Even, even our facilities, um, as Rick talked about grants and things for technology and for Wi-Fi, um, those have been beeped up in every one of our buildings to be able to handle the bandwidth, to handle the, mm -hmm. the, the amount of uh, uh, information that we're putting down the pipeline. And so our whole system's been bolstered. Our capacity as teachers has been increased um, as educators. Uh, it's, you know, you look at the silver lining and the blessings that have come from this. It's been a huge... Uh, inconvenience for all of us, but it's helped us to become better. David, uh, yes. um, I'd like to go back just to the quarantine uh, question. Yes, and please. Ju just to add to what uh, Dave has, has shared, uh, there's been some changes here more recently. It used to be that, you know, before Christmas, when when kids were exposed in the classroom, even in the classroom setting, mask on mask, they, they would likely have to be quarantined. Depending on the criteria, there was a good chance that they would be quarantined. Uh, those kids would be out typically 14 days, okay? And then there was a, a low-risk, high-risk that went into play, and those kids only would have to be out seven days, and they could test to return. Okay. So after, after Christmas break, when we came back, there was a real significant change, and that is that uh, kids that are in school mask on mask if there's an exposure they're considering it very low risk and those kids don't have they to don't quarantine. even have to do the seven days then they don't have to quarantine at all uh of, of course you know that's changed what how contact tracing works it's right less work for the principals mm -hmm. which is really nice <laughs> for them but uh great for kids because i, I think really the the data that, that supported that decision was that a lot of these kids that quarantined were not ever testing positive. They right. weren't. They weren't getting sick, as long as it was mask to mask mm -hmm. in a controlled setting in schools where we've gotten pretty good at mitigating risk. And so, that's a significant change because uh, we have we have far fewer kids on quarantine now than we did before Christmas. And the likelihood is is we 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 won't have nearly as many. So kids are going to be in school learning. We believe that schools relatively a safe place mm -hmm. uh, because of the risk mitigation uh, procedures that we have in place. So I, I think that's a, a you know, it's, for me, it was a real welcome change. Now, what we're going to have to keep an eye on are the, the number of positive cases. Right. And there's been a little bit of change there as well. Um, a school our size at, at UNA High School 
it doesn't impact us much because for, for larger schools, the cutoff was 15. So when you had 15 positive cases, you were required to close your school, right? Oh, wow. Um, giving you an opportunity to not just clean, but, but do, Social distance. go online mm-hmm. and, and let every, let the numbers come back down. And, uh, and then they changed it to 1% for larger schools. Well, right now we've got about 1,600 kids. So we went from 15 to 16. So that didn't make a, <laughs> Not much a, of a, change. a major change for us. But the big change now is, is that when we hit that threshold, now we did hit it. We hit it the day before Christmas break. So we literally, we had to go online one day before Christmas break. That was fortunate. Yeah, 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 really, the timing worked out really well. So after Christmas break, we came back and our number went reset to zero because mm-hmm. the Christmas break was a natural, um, yeah, like a closer almost. Yeah, exactly. So it worked out well. But anyway, the, the change now is if we hit that magic number at UNA High School, it's 16. If we get 16 positive, what we call active cases within the, the previous 10 or 14 days, depending on how you look at that, then... Uh, what happens is we can implement a test to return procedure where you can test every kid in the school that, that wants to be tested and that, you know, you get parental consent for, and those that, that test negative can come back immediately. Oh, okay. So, so you wouldn't have to necessarily close your school. So that's a, that's a significant change. I think it's a change that will likely keep us from having to close our schools or, or, you know, shift to online Mm -hmm. learning with the exception of maybe one or two days in between when you have those scenarios. So, so now the number we're really keeping an eye on, it's, it's not necessarily the quarantine numbers as much as it's the number of, of active positive cases. Right. Um, now I I do want to, to make sure everyone's aware that if, if you're not in school, it doesn't matter if it's mask on mask or not, you still have to quarantine. If you're not in a controlled school environment and the Department of Health contact traces, they're, they're still going to quarantine students. Right. You're not giving us information about the general public. You're just saying within the school setting, in actually in the buildings. Yes, exactly. And I just want to make that clear because we, there, there are parents that feel, well, wait a minute. I thought that as long as, you know, as right. long as it was mask on mask, it was okay. We had, you know, we had a, a, a movie party and we everyone was masked up and uh, we we don't have control over that. That's okay. that's between the the families and the Department of Health. And I right now the the procedure is is they I believe they'll still quarantine those kids. Okay, um, I'm I'm interested to know, um, uh, Superintendent Brotherson, if if uh, two questions, if you've seen the same reduction of quarantine students uh, since uh, the new year, uh, or since Christmas ish. And um, you had mentioned that, you, you know, you had uh, several different teaching um, options or, or uh, methods in which the teachers had to prepare for teaching, whether it's inside the classroom or online or quarantine. What is the difference between a student that is learning online and a student that is quarantined? Okay, I'll answer that one first. The student that's quarantined is at the same level as the rest of the students that are in that classroom. So that has to be current. And if they're online, they're progressing at their own pace. Oh, okay. And so it's following a different timeline or a different curriculum map. And so those students could be in two different places, the ones that are in quarantine and the students that are online. They wouldn't be in exactly the same place. That makes sense. And the quarantine students, hopefully they're on the same curriculum map as your face-to-face kids, so you're keeping them up. So when they return from quarantine, that they would that they would be caught up with the class. Um 
Then I, what was your other question? The first question here. Just uh, just the numbers of quarantine students compared to first semester. Since uh, we've been back, I'll just I'll give you my theory. This is according to Dave, so it's not. <laughs> but I we're in a different area than the Wasatch Front, and our kids on weekends and time off are not going to the mall or, or areas where they're mixing with other kids mm-hmm. or not having mask parties or those type of things. And so when we would go to Thanksgiving, we would almost reset. Our our quarantine numbers would go down. Our positive numbers would go down. And then it would take us a while to catch back up again. Hmm. And the same thing happened with Christmas break. The thing that worries me, we've only been in school for you know a week since um, our Christmas break. And so our numbers aren't there. They, we reset. So we were at zero. Mm-hmm. And so we're just starting up again. And we're getting a few, um, mostly through our athletic testing um, that we're picking up and being able to uh, help them. But uh, we have a long stretch here after Christmas where we have no breaks. We have a few. I've went through and marked those on our calendar, which is President's Day, which would give us a, uh, four or five days off there, and then Martin Luther King Day. But after Christmas, uh, spring break is about our next major. And so as we go down the road where we're getting to the 15 or the 16, we don't have any relief. We're going to have to change something that we're doing. And, you know, that's one thing that's really nice through this athletic testing or extracurricular testing is that you've been able to see trends and go in and change uh, routines and try to help, um, you know, maybe uh, clean differently or wear masks in different situations, uh, remove kids that were positive Mm -hmm. uh, so they're not infecting other kids. And I feel like that we'll be able to get through winter and as soon as spring starts and we're able to push kids outside our fall was a lot different than they predicted because kids' activities were outdoors mm-hmm. and our uh, infection rates outdoors are not near as high as they are indoors. Yeah, And so we're anxious to get to that point where we're uh, sending kids outside again and having activities outside and being able to do it that way. But the stretch has me a little bit worried that we'll, we'll hit those quarantine levels and those uh, infection levels that yeah. we'll have to have some type of a plan. Yeah, especially since it's going to be cold for a while. Yeah. <laughs> going to keep yeah. everybody indoors. Uh, let's take a, a quick uh, break here and tell you about one of our other sponsors, uh, Carl's Carpet, who's we're talking about. Uh, Carl's Carpet is the Uinta Basin's premier installer of flooring, window coverings, and custom organizers. They've been family-owned and operated for over 50 years. For free estimate, go see them today in Roosevelt or on the web at Carl's with a K, carlscarpet.com. Also, Channel V6, that's us, uh, mobile app. Channel V6 has delivered high, uh, high school sports, local news, and community events to Basin residents for years. Now everything offered on the website is available in the palm of your hand through the new Channel V6 mobile app. Watch sports and other events live as they happen or view them on demand at your convenience, all on your mobile device. You can even receive alerts when a live event uh, or breaking news is happening. Don't miss any of the high school basketball season action. Find the Channel V6 mobile app on your app store for iOS or Android today. Okay, so um, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, I'm interested to know uh, kids. What are they thinking about this? What? Are, how have the students, obviously they've been impacted. Um, I'm wondering 
what they think about the situation and how they've changed over the last four months, uh, four or five months. Uh, and if you've, if you've seen any successes or if you see any areas that, uh, from their point of view, still need working on, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. I, I think that's a hard question because kids are so different and diverse and, uh, you know, you, you can talk to kids and, and you'll get a different perspective from them based on, you know, maybe their upbringing or, or just how they choose to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say for the most part, well, there, there were, there were some misconceptions coming into this. I remember early on, people were just adamant that you're not going to get these young kids to wear masks. Right. Kindergartners and first graders are not good. There's no way they're going to keep those masks on. And you'd be shocked if you walked into our schools and you, if you spend any time in those classrooms at all, well, kid, even the youngest kids are very, very good about wearing their masks. Even our, our, you know, we have some students with pretty significant disabilities in some of our special education units. Um, you watch them, they'll go outside on the playground and they'll take their masks off just like their peers. They'll do their thing, play around. And when the, the signal is there that it's time to go back in, the bell rings or the whistle blows, they take their mask and they put it back on and mm-hmm. in they go. And, and they're, they're very compliant. Um, it, it's, it's really, it's really been kind of neat to see how, how kids, again, they're resilient, they adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of kids that have just said, you know, for us, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, it, it's in some cases they'll say, well, it's, it, you know, my, my parents aren't very happy about it, but it's really, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, so again, kids, kids seem to be okay. Um, I, in, in talking to some counselors and social workers, uh, another big, uh, misconception was, is that, you know, our, our kids, the suicide rate's going to go up and Mm -hmm. kids are going to be having more difficulties than ever before. We have, the data hasn't like backed that up. Okay. It just hasn't, it hasn't suggested that we really have a larger problem with social emotional issues than what we had before. Okay. Um, I've had some teachers and counselors tell me they think that it's actually not as bad as it used to be. Like there's, interesting. there's, there's less, um, there are fewer social interactions, no doubt, but we all have to remember that not all social interactions are, are positive are for good. kids. Yeah, I get that. So, um, in, you know, in light of that, uh, have we been concerned? Absolutely, we have. And and we've done some things to, you know, we, we've hired additional social workers. We, we've we've definitely... Um, We've, we've put some things in place to help kids with the, the social-emotional learning part of this. But uh, really, and from my perspective, kids have handled this very well as a whole. And again, I just want to quanti- quantify that. Every child is different and unique, and some kids, without a doubt, are struggling through yeah. this, while other kids are probably thriving. And, and, uh, but as, as a whole, um, it's gone better than I would have expected as I try to put myself in the shoes of our kids. Okay. Um, Superintendent Brotherson, uh, looking more on the uh, extracurricular activity, sports, that kind of thing, and, and how this has affected that, how, how students responded to that. You know, we've had basically the same experience as Rick um, all across the, the board there, but Union, uh, go Cougars, won volleyball <laughs> this fall. Oh, and, congratulations. And uh, it was awesome. But as they went to uh, present their trophy to the school, 
um, one of their captains stood up and she uh, told the school thanks for wearing their masks. They were so worried that they weren't going to be able to finish their season or that they would have to quarantine. They watched some of their peers not be able to play baseball or softball or graduate or have prom last spring. And so they were really worried about not being able to participate. Hmm. And so as they came to school, uh, one of their priorities was to stay safe. And uh, when she stood up there, it just almost brought a tear to your eye. Yeah. But she says, you wore your mask for us and we'll do the same for you now. And we did get into winter sports, and uh, now we're trying to do the same for them and then move forward into spring sports, uh, spring activities. You know, it's a little bit, as we talk about these things, we say athletics, but it's also theater and band and, mm-hmm. and all of the extracurricular. Think about um, singing and what Tri-County has said about singing mm-hmm. or our uh, data on COVID uh, in, infection and how do you do that for a theater group that right. typically does a fall and a spring play and have done very well. And we've been able to test those students as well and be able to, to have their plays the last little while here. And uh, the same thing with our band. I don't think that we're still back where we need to be with choral and band. Right. Um, but there, there's been some huge um, <clears throat> burdens for those kids to not be able to participate. Yeah. But as we move back, they are very appreciative of those opportunities. And as we think back on our educational career and the opportunities we had and the motivations that we had to do well in that setting, a lot of those came from, you know, it could be debate or drama or, or band or basketball or, you know, whatever, soccer. Right whatever um, our experience, but we had coaches and relationships there that helped us to do better. So we're thankful for Utah High School activities and their return to play plan, the testing. Um, Our kids are embracing that. They're coming at 6.30 in the morning to be tested and they're on time and and we have our nurses there to be able to to verify those and, and to declare their eligibility for the next two weeks. And we, we've been testing, I'm sure Dr. Woodward as well, Woodford as well has been, uh, but we've been doing about 250 a uh, time every two weeks at Union and then about 100 at our other schools. And so it's quite a, a chore to help them. It's a lot of behind the scenes work going on in order to make sure that there's opportunities still to be had. Um, I'm wondering, uh, Dr. Woodford, is, um, one of the things that you had mentioned was um, parental concerns that um, were at the beginning of the semester and uh, specifically about masks and mental health and things like that. Uh, now that we've gone through half the school year, are you seeing those same concerns or, or are there new concerns? Or uh, I, I guess what what's the parents' point of view right now? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure there's still parents that have a lot of concerns. I, I I, I don't always hear from all of the parents uh, or many of the parents. Uh, I, I will tell you that we've heard less. And I think it's just because we've been through this now for several months. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, I think we're kind of uh, acclimated, so to speak, to this this new way of uh, that life has taken us. And uh, in, in a way, that's unfortunate because we have been living through a pandemic. It's been rough. All of us would like to be back into a, a state of normalcy 
to be able to to not have the restrictions that we have placed on us. Um, so that that's a tough question to answer. I again, I think everybody has their own feelings and opinions. We know that that uh, this pandemic that things got pretty political at one point in time. They probably still are for for many people. And uh, uh, you know, I, I respect people's viewpoints and and everyone's entitled to have their opinion. Um, our job as superintendents is to try to keep our schools open and keep kids safe. Yeah, uh, that's the bottom line. And so we we move forward with the recommendations from the health department and and the, the experts that tell us what we we should do. We we you know we, we we don't. It's it's not like it's our choice to decide whether or not we're going to follow an order from the governor. Uh, right. We are educators. One one of the most important things we have to teach our kids and our families, for that matter, is to uphold the the law of the land uh, whether whether it's a an order a law whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. uh, people debate that all the time right. but uh, nevertheless uh, we have to be the example and we have to step up and say hey if if that's a whether it's a local ordinance an order from the governor or what it might be it's our job to to set the the example and to do what we've been asked to do um, the best that we can and right. so uh, that's that's what we've done, and I think the the payoff has been the fact that well we've we've found now that many of the experts early on that told us how important masks were were right. Okay, they they are they are important, and mm-hmm. uh, they you know they have made it so that we're able to carry on. I, I want you to think about how important extracurricular activities are for kids. Oh yeah, it, it's you know for for a kid that's into music. Um, it, it may be the one driver and motivating thing for that child Absolutely. that pulls them through school. Mm-hmm. And you can say the same thing, whether it's it's any other of the fine and performing arts, whether it's, it's basketball or soccer. Um, if kids are passionate about something, it, it just enriches their lives in many ways. And it, 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 it really helps them uh, partake of all of the learning opportunities that we have for them in school. So it's extremely important, and uh, the things we've implemented to mitigate risk has made it so we're, we're fortunate. There's a lot of states still that kids aren't participating in extracurricular activities. Right. So we're so f- blessed that that our kids can. Um, I I feel horrible still when I think about what happened in the spring, when when our state shut down spring sports. I think about those kids, particularly the seniors, but all of the kids that that missed out on their, their baseball season right. or, you know, the, the kid that was working hard to, to get ready to break a school record in track and field or, yeah. or, you know, whatever, whatever, again, it's, if it's something the kid is passionate about, that's, that's so important in the process of learning and, and preparing to become, uh, you know, that responsible, productive citizen yeah. of our society that we need. And kids lost out on that. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm still heartbroken over that. I hope we don't have to go back to that scenario again. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's actually talk about the future a little bit here, because um, the state is currently receiving about 20,000 vaccines per week. And we all know that that is um, our method of getting out of this entire thing is to, to get to where we don't have to worry about transmission. Um, so according to the latest information from the governor's office, the, the current timeline for vaccine distribution shows that school staff 
uh, as one of the most essential groups to receive these vaccines starting this month. And I'm I'm wondering, um, and of course that's that's along with like healthcare uh, workers and first responders. Uh, first of all, I think that's amazing that 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 is up there. That um, among those who are responding to crisis and, and healthcare needs, you have school staff. So. Um, have you seen uh, that happening yet? Are, are, are any of uh, the school staff in your districts receiving vaccines? And when they do, do you, f- I guess, what's, do you think that this is going to change anything uh, in the near future, at least for this school year? I think it will for teachers. Right now, they haven't had a choice. Um, they're required to work. Right. To be able to bring home a paycheck and put in an environment where they could be contagious, like our students as well. But the students do have a choice and the teachers do not. Um, those vaccines have not been made available for teachers yet. Okay. The 11th of this month was the first day uh, um, that they were uh, supposed to be available. Uh, they did do a survey with teachers that actually wanted uh, the vaccine. And that went around to all of our districts. Um, we had, uh, surprisingly, not as high as I thought we would, of teachers that wanted to participate. Um, but we were told in our uh, Tri-County meeting that uh, we had received 300 uh, vaccination uh, vaccinations for our, all three districts. And so as we move forward, we need to prioritize, you know, those that are in the highest uh, risk. And, you know, we have several of our schools that are, we have one school that is uh, um, our special ed, special needs students that are um, in a category that would probably be a high risk. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you talk about bus drivers in a bus. And, you know, uh, 65 or 70 kids in 200 square feet, right. you know, and those type of things. And so they've given us some criteria such as age, high risk, um, previous medical conditions, those type of things. And we are going to have to put our employees in those categories. But they've told us that each week after the 11th that they will receive a new shipment of vials and that they will make appointments and that they felt like that we would have our staff vaccinated by the 1st of April. And then they would start into students and other, uh, the next uh, tier of uh, students. We felt like um, we had been told that our students wouldn't be vaccinated until in May and June. Mm. And today on the governor's, uh, Governor Cox's uh, uh press conference, he stated that they thought that they would have those in March and April, that they'd have the students done by the end of That's April. a significant difference. That is. That's a couple of months, and that's a huge difference. Yeah. You know, as we move forward, um, there's still things that we're not doing. We're not having assemblies. Mm-hmm. We're not bringing all of those kids in as a group. Um, dances, we haven't done anything like that. If you think of your high school experience, yeah. you know, you have prom, you have some of those things. So hopefully by the time we get to March and April, um, we can do graduation and we can celebrate the, accompli- be wonderful. the accomplishments of those kids. And, you know, as we did different activities, I watched you and us on VTV6 and the opportunities that you uh made for the UNA students. We actually filmed ours as well with VTV6. And so the partnership that you and the opportunities that you've brought to us have been awesome. And our communities have stood behind our kids and helped us with those experiences. Uh, 
I've just been very grateful to the parents and the resourcefulness of all of our community to make things happen for our kids. Yeah. And looking forward to a time when the vaccine will allow us to get back to normal. Yeah. Um, that, that timeline is new to me. That's that, like I said, that's, that's a significant difference and can really impact how soon normal as we will soon know it to be can, can return. Um, I'm wondering, I, I don't want to get, uh, too dark, uh, but, Obviously, we're not there yet. I suppose a worst-case scenario for the school districts, um, assuming nothing new shows up, is for us to simply continue on and and see no improvements from here. Uh, I'm I'm wondering, um, uh, Superintendent Woodford, if if you see something other than that as far as worst-case scenario. But even more than that, uh, I'd like to have your take, kind of uh, like we just heard from uh, Superintendent Brotherson, of what your highest hopes are what what do you see the possibility of best case scenario uh for the remainder of this year great yeah you know um between uh we've talked a lot about herd immunity um i i don't know where we're at in 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 the whole scheme of you know when you hit a tipping point and 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 then there's just less transmission because so many people have have already had the virus i i think that uh between that phenomenon and immunizations, we will see a point in the spring where we start to see uh, incident decline o- over a, a, an extended period of time. So that's my hope because you know if, if that happens, we're gonna we're gonna get to a spot at some point where we, we can we can loosen up the restrictions mm-hmm. and get back to to more normal ways of of operating. And and for us, um, really, we're gonna listen to the to the the experts. There's people that are studying all of this that we're talking about. And uh, when when the indicators are there and they tell us, okay, it's uh, you're, you're good to, to, to step back or pull back, we, we certainly will. Um, you know, we, we all want to get back to normal as soon as we can. Right. Uh, whatever, you know, I, I, who knows? I, you hear the term new normal. Um, right. I, I still think that we're going to get back to a, a state that was very similar to what it was before the pandemic where um, people can socialize openly without masks. And uh, will that happen before the end of the school year? I, I pray that it does. That would be nice. You know, um, Dave, yes, I just please. have one more comment. Uh, Dr. Woodford brought up that uh, we're relying on professionals, and I think that they're learning as well. You know, at first they told us that we were to vaccinate everyone, and today they said that if you've had uh, COVID, that you wouldn't need to be vaccinated within that three-month period. And uh, Governor Cox said that he hoped that it would be moved to six-month. Um, but okay. they did have it that we were vaccinating everyone. And uh, they they told us today that they those that had had it would not need to be vaccinated if it was in that three-month window. So a lot of those things are changing as we go. Yeah. And that's been part of our new normal is to be able to change on the fly. And again, that goes back to our staff and to the people that we work with and their ability to accept change and to be able to, to navigate through that. And just want to, one more time, just celebrate our teachers, Absolutely. celebrate our, our community and the people that have come together for kids. And, and speaking of teachers, in this time period, uh, as, as your school districts are, are trying to be as agile as they can, and you've, you've learned great skills to be able to do that, um, your teachers from now until the time that we reach whatever new normal is, um, what are their biggest concerns? What are their hopes? 
Um, you know, I, I, it's, I don't want to put words in the mouth of, of the teachers, <laughs> but, uh, I, I do know that there's a, there's a little bit of burnout that's happening. I, yeah. I believe, I, I think teachers are getting tired and, you know, we just came off a of Christmas break, which was really needed. And, yeah. and you could see a difference in the energy level, uh, right now it's, it's, that was, that was good for them. It, good for all of us. Uh, but we we have the long stretch now, as Dave mentioned earlier. Yeah. I mean, we we don't have any substantial breaks now until we get into the spring. Mm-hmm. And every year, this is the time that during that time frame, you can just feel it. If you're in a school, you're part of a faculty, you feel people starting to burn out a little bit because yeah. their work is hard. Uh, what a teacher does is, is very difficult to manage, manage a classroom and prepare lessons and, and, and do all the things that we've asked them to do is, is, uh, it's hard work. It's, it's taxing. And so, uh, that, that's, I, I think that's something that I would, I worry about is that, man, we've, we've put a lot more on their plate this year. Um, can, can, you know, can our, can our teachers continue at this pace? Right. And I know we've had conversations at the district level. How how do we you know how do we do what do we do to to try to take some more off their plate or uh, it, it's tough. Um, but anyway, that that's one of my concerns moving forward. You know, in all of our meetings, uh, the state officials and uh, the governor all the way through have uh, spoke out to their appreciation for teachers, and they've actually you know have a. a a resolution to give teachers a bonus. Teachers really don't. They're working for social uh, rewards. They are rewarded by how well their students do and those right. type of things. So money is nice and it helps them to pay the bills. But last spring, uh, when we finished up the school year, they had some parades for our schools and they just said thank you to our teachers. And I think that went further than anything that ha- happened all year. It's just that they appreciated yeah. the efforts that the teachers put forward. And, you know, uh, we try to in our meetings to recognize them and tell them thanks. But it really comes from the students and from our community. And they've been wonderful about telling them thank you for the extra effort. And that goes a long way with them. Our teachers are in the same mode as, as Dr. Woodford's. And uh, I think just a little bit of recognition of the arena that they've been working in the last year uh, goes a long way. Yeah, good reminder for us all. Uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you for bringing Any final comments? Well, I just want to thank you and, and thank uh, Channel V6. Um, uh, thank you for, for broadcasting our, our ball games and, and all that you guys do uh, to help support education in our community. We, we really appreciate it. Certainly. Thank you. And, and thank you, guys. I would say the same. A lot of our fans have not been able to attend any of our events, grandmas and grandpas and those type of things. And without you being able to broadcast those events, are they would miss out on uh, some of their grandchildren, some of their children's activities. And just uh, appreciate all that you've done to help us through this. It's nice to have technology. Well, thank you very much. Once again, we've had Superintendent uh, Dave Brotherson from Duchesne and Superintendent Rick Woodford from UNA. And uh, thank you, of course, for listening to the Channel V6 podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at channelv6.com. Thanks for joining us.